Hello, everybody, and welcome to tonight's self-love club question and answer session. These are a beautiful opportunity for us to just touch up, connect, have a drink, have a cuppa, whatever it is that happens to be, and just talk all things self-love, whatever it is for you. I've got some questions that have been asked throughout the last couple of weeks. We run these every fortnight in the self-love club, typically exclusive to the self-love club, but we have some beautiful guests here today, which is wonderful. Today's self-love Club question and answer is the 24th of August, 2021. So I'm just going to make some adjustments here. Beautiful. Hello and welcome to everyone. Welcome. I can see you. Some of you are mute. Some of you are not. That's perfectly reasonable. I'm going to mute everybody. That's perfectly perfectly fine. I am anticipating at least one more that's registered. So we're just going to see how, see how she goes. But here we are. I'm just quickly checking from her to see if I've got anything, but I haven't, which is great. So she must be all good. She's very familiar with the process. So, yeah, welcome. As as I said, this is an opportunity to ask just questions around self-love. It's an opportunity to to go into any ideas that you have. When I talk about self-love, I'm not just talking about the feeling of going, oh, I want to like my body more. Anything is open here. I was just having a conversation with a client just this afternoon or this evening from from six or seven o'clock we had a conversation about about moving in from a space where we're not so much in our head in in our ego and moving into our soul so and really the work that I do more than anything is about getting you to move from your ego and living a very mind-centered life living a much more heart-centered soul-centered kind of life because all of our suffering is in our head now I don't want to say that that's made up. I don't mean that that is fictional. When I say it's in your head, it doesn't mean that it's false. It doesn't mean that you have, uh, it's not your true experience of what what you are having. What it does mean is that it's in your thoughts and your ego and your mind where all the suffering exists. Think about how many things in our life that we worry about, that we are caught up with, that never actually happen. How much of the worry do you have in your life? And most of those things don't ever come to fruition. So I've got a few questions here that that I will delve into tonight. But before we do, I want to open up the platform here. You three beautiful humans are here this evening. And I want to know if there's anything specifically that you want to get out of this. You can chat me privately if you don't want it to be known publicly that um, that you've asked the question and I will answer it while keeping you anonymous. If you have questions in general, you're welcome to chat, come off mute, just say day and let me know. Is there anything specific that you all want to talk about tonight, about things that are going on in your life or anything that you, questions that you want to have answered? Just have a quick drink, let anything that comes through, comes through. There's been a few themes that have been going on. I had an email. Beautiful. Thanks, Jen. That's lovely. That's lovely. So I am just going to check that out very quickly. Jen, um, what email address? (laughs) I have plenty. And I'm just looking through it. I don't seem to have anything that's come through. So I just want to double check. Double check. There's been a few themes that are going on. Of course, you know, we're staring down the barrel of, and particularly here in Australia, obviously, you know, the world is, is going through a lot of stuff at the moment. And, and then personally, I think there's a lot of shifts that are going for many, many people. 
lots of shift. We're moving through a, a kind of like a almost an evolutionary phase to which we are being challenged at all the things that we used to believe that were true and real and and solid in our lives are no longer. Oh, beautiful. Thanks, Jen. Okay. I wonder why nothing has come through from me. I'm just sending and receiving and seeing what comes through. Thank you for responding. Strangeness. Nonetheless, I'll keep an eye on that, Jen, and we'll just see how we go. Um, if you have got it there and you want to, oh, that made a good sound. <laughs> see how we go. As I said, we're moving through this, this real place of, of we're being challenged extremely at the moment, extremely challenged on many different, on many different ways. You know, there's obviously division that's going on in the world. There's lots of pressures that are going on in the world. And there's a real sense of we are being called to ask more of ourselves than we potentially have ever been in our history. I've got one here. I've recently been working on letting go of unresourceful stuff around obligation. So if you have any thoughts or suggestions that might help with that, I would appreciate it. Yeah, I love this question. So obligation in regards to perhaps what you need to do for other people, um, that kind of stuff. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Who else experiences something like obligation where we feel like maybe it's with our with our parents, maybe it feels like with our family members that we have to behave in a certain way as a result of our ties to them. Yeah, I love this. Jen, heck yeah. Yep. Holly's got no outside distractions or obligations at the moment. Is that what you mean? There's nothing much going on for you? Just type it away. I'll, I'll get it. Yeah, so I'm just going to feel into that for you, Georgie. As you'll notice through our conversations here, I... I intuitively feel into the questions as much as I do intellectually. So I just sometimes need to take a moment to just feel into it. Obligations associated with guilt. Yeah, would you say that? Is that for, for you, Atot, speaking with you? Like there's a guilt that if you don't, can we do a little bit of, are you open, Georgie, for, to have a little bit of uh, a little bit of coachy-coachy around this? Certainly don't have to, but if you're open to, I'm willing to. You've said, I think also expectations of myself and the flow of self-worth, enoughness, enough, no, guilt, and, guilt and shame, not enoughness. Yeah, I love it. Beautiful. Welcome, Lara. Nice. So for those who've just joined, we're just looking to the question around unresourceful uh, stuff around obligation. So if I have any suggestions or thoughts that might help with that, there would be some appreciation. So, so what I decided to do, being that Georgie is here live, so why not have a little bit of coachy Healy around, around that experience? Because I think it'd be really valuable for everybody to witness that, both for yourself, Georgie, and for everyone else who's there. So Sounds good. Yeah. So you spoke about, about guilt and shame and not enoughness. Is that where you feel like the obligation comes from? Uh, they're certainly very interconnected. Yep. Yep. Being that there is an experience of that if you if you don't fulfil your perceived obligations, then you are guilty and shameful. Yes, and I think historically there's sort of sense of Maybe when I was a child, that if I didn't fulfil certain obligations, then I wouldn't get love and that sort of a thing that I guess I still have some of. Mm. 
How do you feel in the moments where you don't fulfill the obligations? Sorry, no, when you do. When you do fulfill the obligation, when you don't want to, what's the experience like of that in your body? Excuse me. Um, Resentment or resentful, um, like I'm disrespecting myself, Mm. um, like I'm hurting myself, Mm -hmm. um, stress and anxiety, um, and I think also, like, I don't have clear boundaries and that it's going to keep being like that. Yeah, nice. So it's almost like there's a, is there a sense of hopelessness or helplessness that comes from that? Like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to have to keep doing this and feeling this shitty feeling for forever more because I can't change it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Something, well, something along that line sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you are choosing to betray yourself rather than to hurt someone else. Is that right? Yes, and so I'm prioritising other people over myself. Yeah, yeah. And saying that out loud, I feel like you, I mean, you know, I know that you're a coach yourself, right, so you have experience with, you know, you know a bunch of this stuff already. So you know the limits there that you have. What is it about you betraying yourself on a regular basis like this that's gotten you to a point where you're like, I feel like I need to do something different, but I can't yet? Um, I'm not quite sure. I think it's more that I find myself continuing to do it and I don't do it as much as I used to. Like, so I've definitely improved in that area. And I also feel like, you know, a few years back prior to working through a lot of this stuff, your questions probably would have triggered a lot more emotion for me as well. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's it's nice to know how far I have come along that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I... Georgie, are you a good girl? <clears throat> <laughs> um, yes. That, 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 was some, that was some button somewhere with the yeah. colour change. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's definitely been a thing. Yeah. Have you? Why have I asked that question? What's the association there between being a good girl and talking about obligation? Uh, that a good girl always does what other people want. Yeah. And and one of the one of the founding things of of a good girl is that. And a good boy, if you're going to go there, or a good person, um, irrelevant of, of gender identity there, is that um, that you're nice. Are you a nice person? Yes. And, and when I think about being bad or not nice, it does bring up a lot of stuff in terms of, you know, I don't want people to think of me as a bitch or selfish or, you know, all those other labels that, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's more comfortable to hurt yourself than it is to potentially hurt someone else. Yes. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's the general gist of that. And the, the label of good girl, the, the, the label of nice, is something that you've identi- identified with as being something that will give you love, that if you, if you stop being nice, love will be removed. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about the word kindness... What comes through for you? Kind, kindness. 
I don't have a, a simple answer to that. I, I feel like uh, recently I've been doing some uh, work around that and trying to uh, be kinder both to myself and others more of the time. Um, I think historically I would have seen kindness as basically being a good girl or whatever and that it was probably more about being kind to other people than it was about being kind to myself and engaging in self-love stuff. Yep. Um, Beautiful. I've got a piece that I'd like to talk into and, and thank you for thank you for bringing this question. I'm sure that it's giving a lot of value to everybody around this. And, and this piece that I want to talk into is around the difference between being nice and being kind. Yes, because as good girls, I know that a lot of you can relate to being good girls. I have certainly was raised to be a good girl in exactly the same way, Georgie. Like just um, put the happy face on, make everybody else feel good and comfortable, even if that's at the cost of me feeling uncomfortable, of me hurting me that's a worthwhile because then when everybody else is happy, I can then be happy. Yet as, as my life has gone on, that hasn't been the case. Maybe as a child I could because the, the complexities of life and my own needs weren't as pronounced. But now as an adult, which is not what you're experiencing, I'm sure many others, is that as we continue to be nice, we are actually being unkind. So roll with this for a moment. When you think of the word nice, and I want everybody to feel into this for a moment. So I'm going to pop you back on mute. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out. I think this piece is going to be super important and any other questions that you have and everything, always welcome. Always welcome. It's beautiful. Thank you for getting us started. I love it. So when we are being nice, think about the word nice for yourself. What comes to mind for yourself? And you can type it in the chat if, if you feel you don't need to. You can keep it in your head, whatever. Um, when you think of the word nice, kind of what comes through for you? She's a nice girl. Yeah, and Jen, I think that you've been, you've seen this piece before. I think we talked a little bit in, in the self-love collective. Um, that yes, nice is nice is compliant, nice is yes, and nice almost. And if you disagree with this, please do let me know. Nice is often false. You know, when we're doing things out of obligation, when we are performing out of obligation, when we are doing acts out of obligation, when we are doing it to keep someone else happy, then it's not genuine. Would you agree, for those of you on camera, would you agree that doing things when you feel obliged, is that, is that being kind? Now, you're doing a nice thing. But tell me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the story that I have that Jen's probably heard once before here. So imagine how you would feel if, if you were dating someone. Imagine you're dating someone, you're cruising along and you're hanging out, and, you know, you're sort of just, you, you, you're getting to know one another. Courting is what they would say back in the day. And you think you're kind of going a roll right. You're not necessarily having any kind of sex or or, or um, sexual intimacy, but you're having physical intimacy where you touch and you cuddle and that kind of stuff for a few months, right? Maybe you're not as patient as me, but <laughs> as you go along, you then find out a few months later or weeks later or even days later, doesn't matter, you find out that they didn't actually want to be with you, but they felt obligated. You, 
you found out that they were just being nice because they didn't want to hurt your feelings. And, Georgie, I'm particularly interested to know how this is landing for you, so come off mute if you want to or just type it there. It's up to you. How would that make you feel for everybody that's online and, of course, with Georgie here being that's one of the questions, how would that make you feel if someone was just being nice to you, dating you to be nice? How does that feel when somebody is just being nice to you? That they might show up and help you with your groceries, that they might do something for you that they want you to do, but you don't really want to do it. Holly goes, I'm single for the first time in 15 years, but it doesn't sound right. Yeah. Georgie, it wouldn't feel great, and the sooner you find out, the better. Yes. Now, of course, that's in a dating context, but if we even took it with any kind of context, there's extremes here, right? But if we had a friend who is only coming and helping us move house because they're being nice and they really don't want to and it's hurting them, how would you feel about that? Are they being honest? Now, most people don't like moving house. Don't get me wrong. Like where they're being helpful, I get that. <laughs> most people don't want to. But if it actually hurts them to do it, they're like, oh, my God, I have no energy. I really need to self-care. I can't do this. But, you know, she helped me move last time, so I'm obliged to go do it. Georgie, I wouldn't want them to do it, you said. Exactly. The problem with being nice and doing things out of obligation is, yes, it hurts you, but what it's actually doing is being dishonest and unkind to the other person. Georgie, I think I have double standards. I want other people to not do things through obligation, and yet, you, yet I feel like I'm supposed to. Who else experiences this? I'm sure... Double standards across the board with everything, right? Like, to me, it's been for a long time, like people in fat bodies totally are gorgeous and they should love themselves and they're amazing, but my fat body isn't, yeah? Other people should love themselves, but my body didn't, doesn't, you know? Jen, I'm the same, Georgie. Yes, what we need to realise, because each and every single one of us, it, as we're probably raised as people pleasers, is that fair to say that most of you here are people pleasers? because that's how we got love, look after other people to the detriment of ourselves. Because of that thinking, because we do that, we have been raised to be nice girls. We've been raised to be good girls, right? We want to be nice. But when we're doing things out of obligation, we're actually being unkind. So go through that lens. The thing is, is that your people pleaser also makes you beautifully generous. Each and every single one of you are beautifully generous. You would drop everything to be there for a friend. If somebody asked you of something, you would be there. And that makes you beautiful and generous and loyal and incredible. And I applaud you for it. And I don't ever want to take that away from you. What I want to instill within you an association to that is that you pride yourself on being a good person. And if you're doing things out of obligation, you're not being a good person. In fact, you're lying to the people that you love. Lying. They're pre you're pretending to be of service when you're not and it's causing you to resent them, making them the perpetrator. How does that feel when all of a sudden, when I want to talk about that experience of that person dating. That happened to me. 
I found out a few months later that they were doing it to be nice to me. And they felt that I was coercing, 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 coercing. How do I say that? Coercing, I think. (laughs) I was using coercion. I'll just change my language around there. I was using coercion to keep them in the relationship. They got to the point where they thought I was manipulating them to stay in a relationship with me. I became the perpetrator. Why? Because they were being nice to me. Just like you'd said before, Georgie, we've, you know, we become resentful when we start doing things and we make the other person the bad guy. Now all of a sudden they ask too much of us. Now all of a sudden they expect too much of us. But we teach others how to treat us. So the reality is, is that when we're being nice, when we're being obliging, we are being unkind. And I wonder, I really wonder, for you particularly, Georgie, how that lands with you. Because hopefully I've created some cognitive dissonance with you around that, that you now feel that being obliging is being unkind, whereas before, like, you have an identity around being good, around being a good girl. And by obliging, I've now mushed that for you to now feel that being obliging is you being, dare I say it, a bad girl. (laughs) I'm wondering how that sits for you. You can see both perspectives. It's good to do kind things for people. I agree. And there are going to be times where we don't want to do stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And we help out our friends and our loved ones when when we don't want to do it. Um, Because of extreme circumstances, I used to have this thing with a friend of mine that they could call me at any time for anything and I would drop what I was doing if it was a 9 out of 10 or more. So we established that if, like, if shit's hitting the fan, if you're suicidal, if you're self-harming, if you, if you are having a freaking breakdown and you need someone in that moment and I can answer the phone, then 9 out of 10 or more. And sometimes I would call, I'm like, hey, and I'm like, cool, I'm not available right now. What number is it? And they go, look, it's a seven. I'm like, are you okay? Do you have someone else? And they would say, yes, I do. I'm like, I love you. I've got to go. Yes. And what that does is create trust. And I want you to notice this because when it comes to boundaries, if we let other people cross our boundaries, then we can't trust them. If my mum, for example, often might do things that she doesn't want to do, oh, it doesn't matter, darling. It doesn't matter, darling. It doesn't matter, darling. How can I trust her that when she really doesn't want to, that she will say no? I can't trust that anymore. So it impacts the relationship. So I really want you to see it through that lens. You are actually trusting. You are building more trust. You are respecting them more and you are being kind to them by not being obliging. By respecting yourself in that process, you're actually respecting them more. Cool. How's everybody feeling about that piece there? How's that landing with everybody? I'd love to hear your feedback. Anything going on? Strangely, uh, Jen, I've just checked my inbox. I've got a couple of emails there from Georgie. Thank you, Georgie, who also texted me. Um, But I don't have anything from you. 
So if you've got the email there, can you just maybe copy and paste it or something for me? I'm just I'm just gonna check my junk on my spam. Oh, there you are. Oh my gosh, there's so much. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> oh dear. It looks like everything that's come through is gone to spam. Um quite all right. Quite all right. I found it now. Jenna, beautiful. Okay. Oh, I love this. I love this so much because the word that you've used here, Jenna, is please don't feel obliged to answer them all tonight if it isn't possible. What a joy. What a joy that we've been talking about obligation. <laughs> You're in my junk. Oh, Jen, welcome. It's a good place to be, I've got to say. <laughs> if I do say so myself. Jordan said, yeah, I can relate to someone not being able to trust me as much if I don't set boundaries and say no when I want to. Yeah, so what it actually does is um, it's, an, it's a, a barrier to intimacy. You can't actually get as close to people because boundaries are safe. If you think about it uh, in the example, for those of my, in my Self-Love Awakening Collective, you'll know this story. I'll, I'll keep it brief. If you swim out in the ocean and there's a shark net, you are far more likely to swim further out than you are if there was no shark net. Boundaries allow us space to play and to move. If we know where the line is, we're more likely to, to go out and explore. So therefore, in a, in, a, in a relationship, we are more likely to connect and have deeper, intimate relationships, both with others and with ourselves, if we can be honest with where we're at. So I think that the to wrap it up for you, Georgie, there is know that you're being unkind to others when you're being nice. Know that. Um, potentially even disrespecting them and misleading them. That's something. But then also just question for yourself. Before I go on, we all do this, by the way. <laughs> like, like I'd like, I, I certainly not singling you out. I've done a lot of work on this and I know that all of you have as well. So it's not like, uh, yeah, I had to learn this lesson for myself as well. It's the same, it's the same deal. So, and I would almost uh, like invite you to ask yourself around where in my life, coming, please hold. Yeah, where, where in my being am I not willing to trust myself? Because your behaviour is, is perpetuating the mistrust, but there's something inside of you that told you that you can't, you can't rely on you. So my key there is to work on your own self-trust and that will help you to be less obliging to other people. Yeah, always within. Yeah, everything that I teach is always going to be come back to us. Yeah, nice. Beautiful. Yeah, you're welcome. Excellent. Okay. So not feeling obliged by Jenna at all. Love it. Cool. So, so much has changed for me. Blah. Good, good, good. Nice. So I'm going to look through your questions, Jen, and then and then if there is something that you specifically would like me to look at and address, like one of like your favourite one, and as we move forward with other ones, I will use them as we go along too. So 
Nice. So questions here, and maybe I'll put it to to a bit of a, a, a vote for you all as well. So questions, we kind of go around tribes. So how do I find my tribe and how do I do that during lockdown? So that's a theme of a question. So that will be A. Let's go with A, around tribe. Uh, B is around, I find it really difficult to stay and sit with connection to myself. How do I connect with my inner child or inner self? So B is inner child or inner self. Uh, C, we have around emotionally eating. So sweet things, um, you know, that kind of jazz, no conscious thought, just, just consuming. How can I stop blindly consuming? So that would be food. And then D is about a busy mind. Yeah. How can I slow my mind down and feel in control or not controlling again? A, B, C, or D. So A is around tribe, B is around inner child, C is around food, and D is busy mind. What would you like for us to chat about? Always go on A or D. So we've got to vote on either of those. Jen said, so difficult in a work environment. I'm not sure what you were referring to. Came through as I was reading. Taking your votes here is coming through. So A, tribe, B, inner child, C, food, D, busy mind. It's actually really interesting because as I was, oh, not being obliging, Jen. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, that's difficult in a workspace as well because you do have obligations, right? Like when we have a look at that, you have obligations with your children. You do have obligations to your workplace because you're employed, <laughs> you know, there, there, there is certain standards to which you must meet with your workplace. So you do have your work obligations, but also be really clear on what is your work obligations in, in relation to your, your job role and what is obligation in relation to what your boss might expect of you above and beyond the call of duty. Yeah. So. Just be aware of that because being obliging, having obligations, literally like we are obliged to pay our rent. We are obliged to pay the mortgage. They're obligations that we all have. Everyone's got obligations. But when it becomes a personal obligation other, rather than a, a responsibility obligation is where things get personal. They get tricky. They get emotional. Yeah. We don't tend to go, oh, my God, I'm having such a rough time feeling the obligation to pay my mortgage. Yeah, that's, it, you might not be able to afford it at that time, but that's a money thing rather than a, a personal thing of you feeling like you're betraying yourself by paying the rent. Yeah. Cool beans. So I'm going to start with D. If we have a little bit of time and you're all still rocking on, I am going to go with one of the others. See how we roll. Because also one of the questions that had come through early in this, in this week was around how do I make negative thoughts go away? So, and, and how and my emotions get the better of me and, and that, that vibe. So I think that asking this question around the busy mind is really, really powerful. So I'm just going to go back to the question. Amani's always busy, always running through a list of tasks. I often feel overwhelmed and incapable. How can I slow my mind, mind and feel in control? not controlling again. Beautiful. What a question. I mean, who doesn't feel this way sometimes or most of the time? 
it was a conversation I was having with a client just this evening, as I was talking before. And most humans in the entire world live in their head. Most of us, all the time. We have this constant narrative going through our mind of the list, the tasks, and everything that we feel like we have to do in every moment of every day. And not only of every moment of every day, but of every moment we could possibly foresee in the future foresee in the future and every moment that we could possibly perceive in the past as well. So we tend to relive everything that happened back then and everything that's going to happen in the future and we problem solve. So what I really want to highlight here is that the mind, I'm going to use the word ego for the, for the purposes of this question, our mind, our ego is our thoughts. What is happening up here in our head and that internal narrative is our ego, it's our mind. And the very job of the ego, the very job of it is to, I wonder if anybody could take a guess at that. What is the main, the primary purpose of the ego? Does anyone want to give that a a crack for those of you who have either worked with me in the past or have done the work themselves? Yeah, beautiful. Georgie, seven and one. The role of the ego is to keep us safe. It's to protect us, right? It can be a little misguided, i got to (laughs) say. And to say a little is a a huge understatement, yeah? So the ego's MO is to keep us safe. So what that means is that imagine it like a little bit of a, uh, a really insecure bodyguard. Yeah, so you've got a bodyguard that follows you around all the time, no matter where you go and what you do. And the job of a bodyguard, a job of a protector, is to look for problems. The mind's job is to look for problems. That's what it was born to do. It kept us alive in times where problems were so abundant externally. Saber-toothed tigers, when we weren't on the top of the food chain, it kept us so safe that we are now the evolved humans that you see today. It is a problem finder. It's not a problem solver, by the way. (laughs) The ego is not, your mind is not there to solve problems. It can, but its job is to find them. So without a job to do, I once heard, I think Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, about the mind as a border collie, a working dog. If it doesn't have a job, it will find one by trashing your house. And so, Jen, in answer to this question, we need to become the leader. When you talk about getting the control back, what's happening there is that it doesn't have a leader. Your mind doesn't have a leader that it can trust. If you think about it, if you if you as a person, even in your mind, it gets a bit meta because I'm talking about different components of ourselves. So just stop me if I'm going too fast or if there's any questions. If you as a person needed to, as like think about your bosses at work or, or, or times that you've had bosses in your life, um, if they're a crappy leader, how do you feel about, about following them? If they're inconsistent, if they're barely present, if they don't show up very well, if they're mean to you or cruel to you or if they ignore you, how much, or they make shitty decisions, how much do you feel confident in following them? Just give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, either visually. Jen, not at all. Beautifully. Yep. Head shake. You you don't trust them. You won't follow them. The ego is the most immature and dormant part of our soul. 
okay? Our mind needs a leader. Somewhere along the lines, it was there, built a long time ago to protect us, and it was great. But we were, at that point in our evolution, still guided by our gut, guided by our instinct. We lived on the land, and we had to, like, survive from a place of knowing what was true within our being, and we were very connected to land and very connected to spirit. As time has evolved, the ego's kind of grown into this thing that everybody is driven by. You will see ego everywhere you go, every news, every person that you connect with. I would fashion a guess to say at least 99% of people are running in ego at least 99% of the time in the entire planet. And the ego's MO is fear. How you know you're in your mind and how you know you're in ego is when you have fear. And fear fits into a lot of different categories here, okay? So imagine it to be an umbrella. When you have, when you are angry, you're afraid because someone crossed your boundary. And maybe it's not fear like you want to cower, but it's fear like protect, defend, yeah? Maybe you, um, when you're feeling obligated, yeah, you now feel as though you need to, you're afraid of being rejected or you're afraid of losing love or you're afraid of hurting somebody else. People pleasing is the same kind of vibe. We can put pretty well everything that our little mind does under the category of fear. Because remember, the jobs of the ego is to protect us, to keep us safe. So if there was nothing to protect us from, right, like if you think about someone who's protecting something, we're afraid of it being taken. Is that fair to say? That there is a sense of fear that it's going to go away. That's why we're protecting it. However that comes out, as I said, it might be in, in violence, it might be in aggression, it might be anger, but it is based and rooted in fear. And that is the MO of the ego. That is the MO of the mind. So, so Jen, when you talk about this busy mind and it's taken over, it's afraid. And what most people tend to do to try to quieten the mind, meditation is a good thing, by the way. Uh, I, it's, it is a very useful thing in training. It, it can very much help. Um, and I feel like regular leadership training is necessary in order to keep it at bay. When I say keep it at bay, what I want to highlight here is that through the work that I do, I am not encouraging you to get rid of the ego, kill the ego, or make the ego go away. My methodology and what I teach and what I found has worked for both myself and everybody that I've ever done it with is to raise the ego. It's like you're the parent, you're the leader, you're the one that needs to help them. If you had a friend, Jen, for example, who was came to you and they're like, Jen, oh my God, and I did this thing and then I'm thinking about what happened last, last, you know, last November when that thing happened and then tomorrow I have to do this and I'm thinking about this and I've got this list and I've got the structure. I'd love to hear from you, Jen, either come off mute or type. You don't have to come on video. What would you, what, how would you be with them if your friend came to you in a, in a, like a panicky kind of anxiety kind of vibe? Yeah. They're feeling overwhelmed and incapable. How would you respond to them? Anyone can answer this question, by the way, too. Jen, yeah, fire away. I'd probably tell them to take a deep breath. Yep. And, so, and maybe try and just give me one thought at a time 
<laughs> yeah, nice. I love what you've said here. Um, and, and thank you. You're welcome to un, you're welcome to mute again. Um, take a deep breath. Have you ever noticed that when people are in panics, when people are getting carried away, pretty well everybody will say, just breathe, just take a breath. Everybody with me now, we're going to take three breaths, okay? We're going to go in. On the out, we're just going to exhale with a bit of sound and shake it out, okay? So we're going to go in. Oh, shake it out. Two more in. Oh, however you want to express it. One more, go in. Oh. Georgie's response to, to the friend would be to listen, help them or ego feel heard. I love this, right? To come back for a second, we tell people to breathe because it is the fastest way to return to the present. The ego has no power in the present. Now, in this moment, when we are fully present in this moment, the ego is not there anymore. Have you ever noticed this in, in any kind of meditation you've done or any moments of Zen or any moments of when you're like completely enthralled in the activity that you're in? When you're fully present, your chatter goes away because the ego doesn't exist in the present. The ego exists in the future and the past. It's constantly, it's constantly thinking about what's next. As you've said there, Jen, it's about running through a list of tasks. I often feel overwhelmed and incapable because your mind is trying to solve everything that could possibly ever happen in the future. When we actually come back to now in the present, Sometimes there is action to take. Of course, we have lives to live and, and there are tasks to get done, etc. But very often the worry isn't in the moment. So we tell people to breathe because the fastest way to get back to now, our mind races ahead or in the past to come back to now. So if you had that friend who was doing that, you would tell them to breathe. And as Georgia said, listen, help them feel heard. This is literally our role as the leader of our egos, the leader of our small self, which is helpful with your inner child. This is answering B at the same time, by the way, the inner child stuff, because I, re I refer to different refractions of ourselves, like in a child, I'll refer to your emotions, I refer to your ego self. I refer to different parts within us that are all versions of our, what I want to call our small self. Not because I'm belittling it, but because everything that exists in our mind is, is, a, is a limit. We are actually our souls and we live in a, in a space that we think we are everything in our head. But in those moments of clarity, in those moments of peace, we really fully understand that we are interconnected and woven into this much bigger piece, that we are both the ocean and the wave and the drop and the rain that comes with it. We realise we are all the things. So when we are caught up in our head, our inner child, our ego, our small self, it needs a leader. It needs a parent. We need someone to guide us home. 
to guide us to the truth of our bigness. And so literally how we would do that is to sort of, you know, talk to it. And sometimes in the beginning, this is going to take a lot. You will hear your ego going wild and thinking and your mind is racing, you're doing all the things. Hello, mind. Literally, this is how I say it out loud. If you can, if you're at work, then do it in your head or just do it out loud and put your headphones in, talk as if you're talking to a person. Um, and you may want to say this out loud with me now if you want to. Hello, mind. I can hear that you're freaking out right now. I just want you to know that no matter what happens, we're going to be okay. And we are okay. You're speaking from a higher part of yourself. You're coming into a place where even if you don't know, your mind doesn't necessarily believe you. They're like, nah, you're just saying that. It's just words. But after years of ignoring our small selves, our inner child, our mind, it's pretty likely that it's going to be a little bit suspicious of us. But it is desperate for a leader. Our mind wants us to take over. It's exhausted. Who else is exhausted living in your damn head? It's exhausting. Oh, because it's never, it is never meant to be in charge. Back in the day, in the caveman days, it, it, it served as an ally to us in conjunction with our intuition. And as the world around us became safer, um, you know, we live in privileged country and irrelevant of what's happening right now and, and with any kind of perceived dangers, we're still in a position where mostly we're safe. Yeah, we're not like we live in, ever, all of you have got a roof over your head right now. We're watching the internet. Like we're, we're privileged and we're pretty damn safe. So we don't have this need to be fighting for our survival all the time. And so when that kind of happened, when we stopped having to fight for our survival, it's like the ego was, I was going to say, does anyone remember this? Of course none of you do. None of us were alive at the time. But back in the day, telephone operators, in order to call somebody, you would call the operator. And the operator would literally, they, they worked on a switchboard and there were like hundreds of switches and they would literally pull out the switch and plug it into this, the line to which connect you with the other phone. Like literally, it was called a telephone switchboard because they literally had to connect you. And they could hear the conversation. The operator had to connect it. That's how it worked when phones first came about, right? It's like the ego's job is that telephone operator, clicking all the things, solving the things. It's amazing. They're doing an incredible job. The ego is loving life. Yep, I'm so important. I'm helping. Everything's amazing. And then different technology came in and the switchboard operators were no longer required. The ego is that switchboard operator, except instead of it being reskilled and repurposed into a different job, it's still trying to plug in all the damn things and connect dots that aren't there and make shit up. Our egos make up so many stories. Who experiences this? Like I was in the shower the other day and my mind put out a whole scenario of an argument that I had with a pretend person on the internet of a, of a video that I hadn't yet posted and the comment that they had made. It was all made up. I hadn't even made the video. I don't even know what the video was in my mind. 
I was just having this defensive argument about if somebody had commented with this specific thing and how I would react. That's mental. Do you guys understand how I feel like we have completely normalised the illness of the mind? And I don't want to say mental illness in terms of like clinical associated things where there are chemical imbalances and stuff, but I think that we are all very mentally unwell because we have this takes over us. We are so disconnected from our bodies, so disconnected from our intuition that we just make shit up in our head all the time. Holly said, uh, could this be how I've gone from strength to plummet? Uh, two things. Context, I know what you're experiencing right now. You're going through huge shifts in your being, which comes with a hell of a lot of grief. So I almost want to partition that for a second because grief will have you, particularly as you're growing, as you're going up the mountain, I'll come down here, you will go down and you'll go into a valley. You'll come up. You go, yeah, I feel amazing. You go into a valley. Yeah, I feel amazing. You go into a valley. So in grief and all, often the the journey to awakening is like that anyway. Oh my god, everything's amazing. Oh my god, it's all shit. Oh my god, it's even better. It's shit. It, it's it's kind of that vibe. So yes, also the mind gets the better of you. So it's both of those things, Holly. Grief is part and half of the course, and you will naturally go through peaks and troughs, and your mind is getting the better of you. A daughter says, we are very imaginative, creative people. Just the creativity doesn't always feel super helpful. Yes, because there's no leader. Yeah, there's no one guiding that. You put a kid, um, you try giving a four-year-old free reign of their life. What happens? It's chaos. And what actually happens is that they feel really unsafe. They feel super unsafe because what they want is guidance, what they want is boundaries, what they want is leadership. They want to be shown the way. And, and yes, allow that creativity to come through. It's beautiful. Like I said before, I don't want to stop you all from being generous and kind and the gorgeous, beautiful humans that you are. And we need boundaries. And this is exactly the same. Yeah, we... we our creativity becomes, you know, we're so imaginative that we make up things entirely in our heads, which is great. That's how we came up with, like, that would be a great movie. That would be an amazing song. As you said, Georgie, like, we're creative. And that's at the beauty of our brain is that we can make things up. That is both the, both the, the, the that is both the illness and the, what's the other word that I'm going for? It's both the illness and the magic. It's, it's, the sa- it's the same thing. And to me, mastery of that is learning how to lead it, learning how to set really healthy boundaries. And if, if you want to kind of play with it in a, I don't often go into masculine, feminine kind of energy things because I think it's associated with male, female, and I don't think that that's particularly helpful. Um, I'll maybe go yin-yang. That feels more more true for me. A yang energy is output. Yang energy is like, is is, uh, protection. Yang energy is going out, the hunter kind of vibe, yeah? Yin energy is allowing, is receiving, is is the gatherer. Gather, hunt, go out, gather, come in, yeah? 
Even any and you, you can you can see that that there's a dance there. Creativity is that wild woman with inside of us. It's that like amazing flow, yeah, ha. Huh? But if there's no boundary, if there's no safe container to which to hold that in, it's a whirlwind that causes destruction. We need to have both the yin and the yang in us. Yes, I love it. I love Jen that that. You know, you're actually quite good with having your boundaries. You're quite good at keeping it all contained, but you're keeping it only contained up here rather than letting the boundaries be come from your heart. Explode this out and, and give boundaries to your mind. Give your ego self and your inner child the opportunity to be raised and to be matured by helping it. Hello, my darling ego. I can hear you and I can tell that you're afraid. I want you to know that we're safe. See what I'm doing there? You've got a chaotic mind going bananas. I come back to my heart and I say, we are safe and you are okay. Because tell me, everybody, but particularly Jen, tell me, how often are the worries that your mind has accurate? How often do they actually come to pass? <laughs> Not very often. I know you're going to answer that. <laughs> it doesn't very often. A very small percentage of the time do the things that we worry about ever come to fruition. Even the tasks that you have. And, and here's the thing, the piece that I want to close in on with this, providing that this has helped, Jen. I want to make sure that this has landed for you before I close it off. Um, the ego is never satisfied. The ego is never satisfied. It can't be satiated. Even if a problem, even if a problem is solved, yeah, even if a problem is solved, it'll be satisfied for a small period of time and then the next problem will come because its job is to keep yourself and to look safe and look for problems. That's his job. And we need it. We need it to, to keep us healthy. We need it to, to allow us to survive, to cross the road when we see those, those drunk people coming towards us. It's important that when we see a car being erratic on the road, that we take some distance away from that car to protect us. That's the ego looking for problems. Thank you, ego. It's just that it's wild because it doesn't have a leader. Um, Holly's just answered that question. Mine always seems to be correct. I'm going to challenge the crap out of that. I don't think that that's true at all. I think that you have some intuitions about some stuff that are right, but when your mind is worrying about what may or may not happen, when you think, oh, my God, I'm not enough, you know, and, and we make stuff up in our head, I mean, you know, you have, and I don't know the number, George, you might be able to give me a number here on this, but something like 10,000 thoughts a day at least, right? Like thoughts are, are, are an insane amount. And typically we loop through maybe say 10 or 20 of them, right? It's pretty likely that those 10,000 thoughts that you're having every day, that's, that's an arbitrary number, I'm probably wrong, but it's big. Um, it's probably even more than that. The 10,000 thoughts that you're having every day, most of them are about shit that you can't control that are never going to happen. So just, just I, I, I challenge you and I invite you to 
start being more aware of what your thoughts are doing, what they're actually saying. Yeah, even, even you know, come back there. Um, could this be how I've gone from strength to plummet, right? That's your label. You've labelled those experiences. That's your ego now thinks that you're plummeting, right? That's not inherently true. Do you not feel great? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But plummeting? Well, well, that, that is a label that your ego has put on that. So when you say that you think that it's correct, not necessarily because the ego will always see things through the lens of fear. So even the word plummet, when we think of it, we're plummeting to our death. We're plummeting down. We're plummeting to some kind of bad place, right? But what if the place that you're entering now is, is a gift? You're making and you're placing meaning on something of your experience and your ego is doing it through the lens of fear. When we do it from the lens of heart, from soul, from surrender, we can go, everything is happening exactly as it needs to, even if it's not to my preference. I don't like it. I hate it. It's shit. I don't want to experience it, but I'm exactly where I need to be. That's a whole different kettle of fish. Just checking. Uh, Jen, mine worries a lot that I don't have enough time. So it's not true, although I think it's true because I spend so much time worrying instead of living. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's almost self-perpetuating, right? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And so you run out of time because you spend all your time worrying about not having enough of it. Whereas if you could just put it aside for a second, you'd actually have more time. And I'm just going to take that. Is everybody up if I stretch that a bit further? Can I get a thumbs up? I just want to like stretch the limits here a little bit on that. I think someone's just arrived thinking that maybe we start, maybe the timing was wrong. Hey, Beck, welcome. It's really nice to have you here, my darling. We are almost finished. We've been on for about an hour. I'm not sure if the timing we got wrong there, um, but it's lovely to have you nonetheless <laughs> for, our, for our conversation here. So with Jen there, you've gone, mine worries a lot that I didn't have enough time. Firstly, what I want to say here is that it's a beautiful, profound thing that dropped in for me probably about six or eight weeks ago, and I want everybody to think about this. We don't have time to rush. Think about that. Feel that in your being for a second. We don't have time to rush. It takes more time to rush than it does the time to take the time. Rushing costs us time. Being worried about not having enough time costs us time. And the stretch that I was about to go into with this feels very right to share, so I'm going to. Time, time in a human experience is finite. And the reality is, is that you don't know how much time you have. We just don't. We don't know how much time we have. We know that it is running out. Yeah. The day we were born, there's a clock on the day that we were born. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie In Time with Justin Timberlake. Has anyone seen that movie? It like, it was like, yeah, probably considered really cheesy, but effectively everybody has, um, it's in the future and everybody's born with a clock on their arm, um, but it doesn't start until their 21st birthday. 
But when they're, when they're 21, the clock starts and they have a certain amount of credit on their arm, but it's, it's counted in time. And if it gets to zero, they die. Like you could watch it happen, right? And the way that you gain more time is by going to work. Instead of money, the economy is time. And so there are billionaires out there that have billions of years on their arm, right? And they're highly protected. It's a very, you know, dystopian kind of future situation. Um, I digress for a moment. Pool movie. Um, Holly said they don't age physically past 21. Yes, correct. They don't physically age, but you can die at any point in time. This tangent that we've gone on here I think is super important because when I say we don't have time to rush, we really don't. The dichotomy here, Jen, is that your mind worries about not having enough time and you've said it yourself and it stops you from living, which is wasting the time that you have. We're all going to die <laughs> at some point, and we may not be lucky enough for that to be old age. None of us here are elderly. We may not get to that point. And I share this with complete love and reverence of life and not from a place of fear by any stretch of the imagination. I feel like in human society we presume that we're going to get old. How many people do you know that didn't? Maybe you don't know them personally. I had the beautiful gift, the beautiful gift of my darling older brother not being old. At 28, he died. And I say that that's a beautiful gift because as a result of that, my heart got cracked wide open wide open through a lot of pain don't get me wrong like it's not like oh my god amazing he died love it snap a lot of pain a lot of heartache a lot of grief a lot of work a lot of feeling all of that to come to a place that when I say I don't want to waste a moment what I mean is not that I'm not going to sit on the couch or that I'm not going to watch TV or I'm not going to, you know, I think that there's this adage that like live life to your fullest, go hard, do all the things. It's not actually how I see it. The way that I personally see that is to find a way to live more truly from my heart as long as I possibly can, as much as I possibly can. When I think about wasting time, wasting time is suffering in the mind. That's, to me, a waste of time. Lying on the couch and watching my fave whatever is not a waste of time. Even if I'm out doing something really, quote, productive, if I'm in my head and I'm stressed and worried and hurting up here, to me that's a waste of my time because it's unnecessary. There's no one getting to their deathbed wishing that they worried more. <laughs> no one's getting there wishing wishing that they could just have a few more days so they could not eat the cake. <laughs> I just, wait, you know, no one's sitting there going, my gosh, I would just love to go back and do some more overtime for my boss. <laughs> when we think of wanting more time, the reality is that there's never enough. 
it's finite. If you can think about someone that you love who's passed, people say, I just wish I had one more conversation with them. I just wish I could hold them one more time. And yeah, of course we would, but would that be enough? Would that, is that ever going to satisfy you? And I, I, I come back for a moment there with the ego never being satisfied because when it comes to the mind, and I, start, I started this conversation like this, when it comes to the mind, it is, it is the place where we suffer, truly suffer. Pain is different. Pain, pain is part of life. Pain and change is all part of life. But suffering happens up in our head. Suffering happens when we are at in, sorry, when we're in resistance with what is. When we are fighting what is, when we are uh, trying to stop what is happening in that moment, be that small in the mind that's racing and you don't want it to, or be that big that you're in a position where you are right now in your life or in the global state of the world. Surrender and acceptance is not about complacency. It's about peace. And when we come to a place of acceptance, when we come to a place of surrender, where we as our higher selves understand that everything's going to be okay, even if our mind is freaking out, that place is where true change can occur. Because it's in now. It's in present, and I come back and say that again. When we are present, when we are fully present to now, what is in whatever the shitstorm in that we are personally or globally going through, and we can come into the presence of now, that's where we can make change. You cannot expect to change things if you're not where you are. <laughs> if you're not in this moment, in this acceptance, then... You can't change anything. There's no power there. You have to be here. You have to be in this moment. And time is finite. And I would love to think that these moments, Jen, of going, you know, of spending more time up here than necessary is what hurts us and, in my opinion, what, what is a waste of our life. Yet most people do that. Most people get to the end of the life and wish that they could have been just a little bit more courageous. They wish that they could have told the people that they love that they love them. They wish that they could have made the hard decisions. They wish that they would have left that relationship or started that relationship or gone for the business deal, even if it all failed and turned to shit. Wouldn't you prefer to have known than die wondering? You get to the end of your life and it will happen, my friends. And I ask you to contemplate it because, <clears throat> you know, I presumably based on the statistically, let's go statistically. I statistically have slightly more runway ahead of me than I do behind me. And for other people watching this, you probably have less runway ahead of you than you do behind you. Statistically, that's the thing. And as I'm getting closer and closer to middle age, that's the truth. Right. If we're what well, women are 83 statistically, that's when we die. So if you are 41.5 or older, you have less runway ahead of you than you do behind you. And I invite you to ask some different questions about the way that you are existing in your life, because. As I said, no one, no one regrets. Not worrying enough. 
No one regrets, man, I wish I could have hated myself a little bit more. Man, I wish I could have resisted what was a bit more. That would have, that would have been grand. No one's doing that. When people get to the end of their life, what they wish that they did was have the courage to live more of their truth in whatever that happens to be. It doesn't have to be grand. It doesn't have to be big. It just has to be yours. The word courage, C-O-U-R, comes from the word heart, and its original meaning was to show your heart. Live from your heart, my friends. Come to a place where your heart is the space to which you live because up here you will forever suffer. You will forever suffer if you live up here. And it's not to say that we don't commune with this beautiful ego mind that we have. It's not to say that we ignore it. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's leading from our heart, leading from our soul and teaching our beautiful mind how peaceful it can be, how loved it is and how valuable it is because we need our mind to tell us to go to work, to wake up in the morning, to, to drive the car, to pay our taxes. We need the mind. In order for you to click on this button, we needed the mind. In order for, you know, Georgie came on tonight, she used her beautiful mind to realise that the link I sent was wrong. <laughs> and you figured out how to get it right. Thank you, ego. Very useful. It's how we live in this world. But it needs not be the leader. You don't want a four-year-old running your mind, running your life. That's nanas. What we need to come is back into our heart. And how we do that is the, probably the question that I hear people asking. Spend more time in the presence. Speak to your mind and lead your mind by saying, hello, ego, hello, mind, hello, fear, hello, doubt, insert whatever here. I see you, I feel you, I hear you. Thank you for your contribution. I love you and I've got this and I want you to know that everything's going to be okay. Hmm. That was a big answer to your question, Jen. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I've got like, 12 questions and I think I probably only ever need one maybe two to uh talk for 75 minutes one question is plenty I'm I'm curious if that feels like that's answered <laughs> your question your question around the busy mind how can I stop oh my mind is always busy running through a list of tasks I often feel overwhelmed and incapable how can I slow my mind down and feel in control I wonder if that has answered that question <laughs> perfectly okay very powerful good I'm glad that it's landed and I have um Beck your email went into my junk as did Jenna's and I didn't know there's been quite a few that have come through um so my apology for you showing up late so what I will do my friend is um is actually everyone who's on tonight will get the recording too so, Beck, I'll give it to you so you can watch it. Usually it's only for the Self-Love Club members, which, of course, you're all welcome to join. It's like 18 bucks a month, cancel any time, and all this content is available to you. So, plus many, many more cool stuff. Then we don't have time to rush. Boom. Yeah, I love it. My friends, as it is, you know, we've been on the phone for a, on the chat for a little while now. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. Are there any questions? <laughs> any, I'm hesitant to go. Is there any more questions? I'll rant for 45 minutes. Any, any questions um, that are a burning desire? I will stay on here. If you have a burning desire of a question that you really want answered that I haven't answered here today, if you have a burning desire, just give a back message, right? Um, you know, please, please feel welcome. I'm, I'm here to chat. I could do this 
all day and all night. So otherwise we are done for this evening. You're welcome to share any insights as well. If there's anything that you've learned that you feel like will be helpful for the group as well, feel welcome to come off mute and just share. Holly, this is helping um, find some refocus. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Anything else, my lovelies? Anything else that I can share? Yeah, you're so welcome, Jen. You're so welcome. I'll get this email. Um, email. I'll get this recording once it's done and it needs to do a few things on the back end. I will... Um, I will email it to everybody who came here tonight. Yeah, beautiful. I'm sure that everybody is uh, is on my list for my book. How exciting, right? First of October. I think that everybody everybody knows. So it's um coming out very soon. You're all on the VIP list, I think. Anyway, so thank you. I'll be sending out some more more juicy stuff this week. Send you through some excerpts from it. It's on the calendar. Go, Jen. I love it. I hope you're all coming to the party. Yeah, the launch party online. Kind of, we'll do bits of this. I'll do I'll do some readings. I'm going to have some music pumping and some party stuff. So we're just going to have a, a, a jolly good time. And, of course, you'll be able to see it in the flesh. I think I'll probably get it in the flesh and the proof copies in a fortnight. So that is stupidly exciting. Stupidly exciting. I cannot wait. Cannot wait. Okay, my beauties, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Sending you so much love. Good night. Welcome.